This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no E's dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts upload. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. wanted to uh, ask you a few questions and talk to you a little bit about the work kind of work that you do um, and just sort of get a, a better idea of, of how you do your work and, and why you do your work and how it works. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, first off, what is an intuitive? Well, an intuitive is a little bit different than a psychic um, because we're talking about left and right hemisphere brain function. An intuitive is someone who is mainly using the right hemisphere of the brain, and the right hemisphere of the brain actually connects directly with the pineal gland or what Eastern philosophies would refer to as the ajna, the third eye. The pineal gland is a little gland that's smack dab in the middle of the brain. And that is what is called the mustard seed that the Bible refers to. It is the direct connection, if you will, to source. So it is the gland that lights up and gives you that direct intuitive connection for you to have downloads of information. Wow. Um, And how do these downloads sort of happen? I mean... Well, it's a little different for everyone. Although there are some basic ground rules, if you will, there are ways that we learn to connect to source. The best way to do that is to get very proficient at meditation. Meditation is sort of the key to 
you've, you've got to be able to quiet out the monkey chatter. You've got to be able to get your your active brain quiet and get yourself into what's known as a theta state or theta brain waves. It's similar to what you would be in a dream state, which is why a lot of people, when they're first starting out learning to connect to their intuitive side, they actually are making connections more when they're dreaming because their conscious mind is quiet and their subconscious can come forth. So I would say if you're really starting out wanting to learn how to do this, we would go through a series of steps to get really proficient in the meditative state, get yourself in that theta state. Right. Uh, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but didn't uh, Einstein have some of his greatest revelations when he was sort of in a dream state? or yeah, Absolutely. Magic? He has referenced that he solved some of the major equations of our time and, and come up with answers to some of the major questions, as did Thomas Edison, as did several of the other uh, great scientists during uh, our known era. A lot of that problem solving occurred actually while in a dream state. And it's it's interesting because you, if you talk to a lot of people, they will say, you know, I've been ruminating on this for days, I've been stressing about it, I've been trying to think, uh, how do I solve this problem? And they go to sleep at night and boom, wake up in the middle of the night and they have their answer because they're able to, to kind of be in that theta state where they're able to connect with whether you want to call it source or you want to call it Carl Jung, a psychologist called it the collective unconscious. You know, there is a theory that there is just a collective soup out there of data that we're all able to plug into if, if we choose to. So um, wh whatever you want to label it, being able to quiet that conscious mind and connect with the unconscious or subconscious mind and get the information you need. Well, right. Okay. Um, is a psychic different from an intuitive? The simple answer is yes, there is a difference. Psychics typically use the left hemisphere of the brain, which is your analytical or your thinking. You, when you're in your left side of the brain, what you're doing is you're reading environmental cues, you're reading body language, you're reading what this is what people often refer to as a cold reading. So psychics are very adept, good psychics, are very adept at picking up on environmental cues running data points through the left side of the brain and working all that information through filters to be able to come up with certain answers. That's not all there is to it, of course. There are certain psychics on a level above that, and they will be able to actually map out things for you that uh, would probably happen uh, in the future. There are psychics who are able to say, you know, these sorts of things are happening. What I like to encourage is not just psychic and not just intuitive, but getting the left and right hemispheres of the brain working in congruence so that you're utilizing both sides with both tools and getting more information that's more beneficial to people. I teach a class called Learning to Read Your Matrix. And we talk a lot about, so a lot of people say, uh, when they start learning how to do these kinds of things, they say, oh my gosh, I saw a sign. This is a sign. That's a sign. Everything's a sign. Everything is a sign. Okay. So we need to be able to not get overly rambunctious and read into information that's not there. We need to understand what truly is a sign. We need to understand what truly is a download of information. We need to understand what really is valuable. Be able to weed out all of the extraneous information. Well, how do you do that? So one of the things I teach in learning to read your matrix is being able to recognize a pattern. 
So when I'm teaching someone how to read signs, I'll say, okay, let's choose the number three. A three is a good confirmation. So we're going to send out some information. We're going to ask a question, what I call the ask-receive mechanism. And we're going to say, I'm going to ask for three particular discrete signs that will give me the confirmation I need so that it's not just a random one-off event. Let me give you a good example. I had a friend who was playing around with some aromatherapy. She had some different essential oils, and she was really into this kind of thing. And she came up with some really unique fragrances and mixes. And so she said, you know what? Hey, how can I bottle this and make money, right? Yeah. So when she does that, it spills all over. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So she goes on about her business, but she puts that in her back pocket to think about later. And at a later point, she's in the store, she's shopping, and she sees some essential oils, and the thought comes to her again. I wonder, you know, how could I put all this together so that I could make money doing this? And drops in the store, there it goes all over the floor. She says, oh, number two. Hmm. Okay. So you can imagine this happens a third time, comes up again, and it... Bottle falls, it breaks, she spills stuff everywhere. Third sign, well, that's pretty distinct. That's a download of information that says, uh, you're not supposed to be doing this for money. This is not your path. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. So, okay, that's very clear. And so you can follow your intuition. Okay. okay. That's not what I should be doing. Is this something that anyone can learn? Absolutely. So it's a myth that there are special people out there or there are you know, there are this upper echelon of people that have this special ability or, or I stay away from the word gift. I don't like this word gift because it has this connotation that something is bestowed upon someone as a special instance and that sets them apart as, as royalty. And that's just not the way it is. Every human being with a functioning brain intact is able to have psychic or intuitive abilities. Now, not everyone is going to be a Mozart if they're a musician. Not everyone's going to be Monet or Van Gogh if they're an artist. Not everyone's going to be Stephen King if they're an author. But everyone has the ability to be psychic and or intuitive, hopefully both at a certain level, and you can work to enhance those skills. Wow. What makes it more prominent in some than in others? Well, typically, you've probably noticed when you're going about your day-to-day -day business that there are quite a few people who are what are termed sheep or automatons right. or, you know, they're kind of just going about their business as long as they have their income and they have their little setup in suburbia and they have their television and they have their fast food and they have the things that keep them functioning. There's not really much else. They don't really care. The things that that happen to people, whether it's uh, coming face-to-face -face with your own mortality, whether it's a near-death experience, whether it's uh, having to deal with mortality of those around you, your loved ones, if it's uh, an illness, uh, if it's abuse, anything that is a traumatic, life-altering event absolutely causes people to be much more in tune with their psychic and intuitive abilities, if nothing else, for a survival state. Right. So how has all this benefited you? <laughs> well, it has benefited me and not benefited me. There, there are interesting instances because I, um, you know, I was raised agnostic. I grew up in England and I was 
Completely. There, there were no discussions of spirituality in our household. There certainly weren't any discussions of God in our household or, you know, this concept of Western religion. It was very, uh, even though I've had paranormal experiences all my life, there was never any relation to that with spirituality, if you will. So being agnostic and having paranormal experiences, that became the norm. And it was fully accepted that I was having these certain types of experiences. But again, it wasn't attributed to any type of spirituality per se. So when I came over to the United States and I was introduced to religion, that was an eye-opener. It was a very difficult adjustment. And I went through a series of repression, repression of my skills, repression of my ability, repression of who I am at my core. It wasn't all that because I began to question as well, what is this all about? Eventually leading me to become a degreed scientist because I had to pick apart all the bits and pieces. I had to understand what is the functioning here. Is this all woo-woo? Is this all make-believe? Are we all delusional, those people who believe in psychics or intuitives or in mediumship or any of the paranormal activity of you know, ghosts or UFOs? You know, are, are all these people delusional? Are all these people crazy? Is there any scientific basis? So I went through training, and I actually was going to become a doctor. I was going to medical school. So I have a degree in science, and I... Here I am. <laughs> so it's all full circle. And so the the other instance that I had to come to, I, I digress a little bit because I actually went into law enforcement as well. And so it was very left brain, very analytical, not a lot of feeling. Shut down the feeling. You have to compartmentalize. You have to be able to function in your job without becoming overly emotional. So I became almost a robot, if you will. And when I left both of those fields and I came back around to my core, it was very difficult. I had a lot of soul searching to do because now I have to come out, if you will. I have to say, guess what? I actually do believe in psychics and intuitives and mediums. Are there some crazy people out there? Sure. Am I probably going to be labeled one of them? Most likely it will happen. There are going to be those who believe and those who don't. There are going to be skeptics and there are going to be absolute disbelievers. And mm -hmm. I'm actually at the point where I'm okay with that. Right. So in doing this and coming out, as you say, um, you know, you've had to deal with some, maybe some negativity or sure. maybe some issues with people that you knew from your previous, uh, you know, law enforcement careers, sure. uh, different things. How is that? How has that sort of shaped your direction and and how you go about, you know, putting yourself out there? Sure. Well, I can say overwhelmingly it went a lot smoother than I could have ever imagined. When I first started getting back into the field and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do, I was still very compartmentalized. So I was very, very careful about here's my personal, here's my professional, keep them separated, only talk about certain things in certain groups of people. And it took a while for me to actually start melding those together. And, you know, it's, it's when, when you have a calling, which I do, you continuously get these nudges. So I would get messages that I was supposed to deliver and I would ignore them. I <laughs> no. And it would con continue to come around until finally I would speak and w one of the packs that I've made 
in doing what I do is to always speak with authenticity, with transparency, with genuineness, with tact, with diplomacy. And in that, that means that if you don't deliver a message that you've been called to deliver, it will be relentless until you do. Okay, so when I finally came to that and I said, all right, well, this is what I'm going to have to do, even in mixed company, I'm not going to be able to compartmentalize anymore. I was overwhelmingly surprised at the acceptance I received, even within medical and law enforcement communities. I was really surprised at that. So there was a little bit of my own judgment in there. Right. And so that was actually a little exciting. I did, however, run into some negativity, uh, especially people that were super close to me when I actually started doing what I do. Uh, yes, I definitely had some pushback. Interestingly, it was from some of the same people who at different times privately asked me to intervene on their behalf, either through mediumship or through uh, handling a clearance of a property with, uh, we had picked up some electronic voice phenomenon on camera. And it was, you know, I was called upon, my services were called upon to go in and find out exactly what was happening and to clear the property. And I was also asked to intervene as a medium when there was a death in the family. Later, however, when this started becoming a little more out and these people started associating with some other people, that all of a sudden became taboo and, oh, I don't agree with what you're doing and you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing and, right. you know, being ostracized. And so that hurt a lot and it took a lot of processing and it, that was from a, a source of, you know, that was a source of rejection I did not expect. And so that was interesting. Mm -hmm. But what I have learned along the way is that when you are on your path, when you are really pursuing your true calling, there are going to be those that match your vibration that will come to you, and there will be those that yeah. filter away. And that's exactly what has happened, and it's as it, as it should be. Great. Yeah. What have been some of the uh, rewarding uh, aspects of, you know, pursuing this direction? Wow. I would say when I get confirmation that I absolutely have helped people and they are just thrilled with the outcome. And I'm able to see people's lives shift for the better and I'm able to see people evolve and grow. That's amazing because it's not me per se. I'm, I'm a messenger and I'm a guide. But to be able to be, able to be a facilitator to be able to be a facilitator for these people, to help them along their path to their own self-empowerment and their own transformation. Wow. That's my passion. We talked about the difference between a psychic and an intuitive. What would you classify the work that you do and, and how you do it? Okay. <laughs> That's a good question. So I uh, would say that I utilize both psychic and intuitive skills, and often even mediumship skills, depending on what is happening with the client. So the interesting thing about source or divine coder or creator, whatever term you want to use, God, if that's your term, the, the source is going to deliver messages in a way that can be received by the person needing to receive a message. Okay. So sometimes that may be simply through a tarot reading. Sometimes it may be simply through asking a question and getting some really sage advice. Sometimes it may be through someone who is a disembodied spirit or a loved one who has passed on, and I might get the message that way. So 
the message will be delivered in a way that's best received by the querent or the person asking the question. And so how did you kind of realize that, that that's where you wanted to go with the work? I mean, that you wanted to do that kind of work and that you had the ability to do that kind of work. Okay, so that's a, it's a multi-path question. I wouldn't say that I've always wanted to do this work. At times it's even been work that I've tried to shun and I tried to ignore and I tried to block out. Uh, it keeps coming back around, so I'm finally just going to do the work I'm called to do. How I'm able to do it or when I first understood that I could do it, I, that's as far back as I can remember. I come from a long line of psychics or intuitives or people who are craft workers even, and we have that. Again, I have lineage that goes back in England all the way back, so there are strong druid roots, pagan roots, you name it. And so that's always been in my lineage. And it's never been something that's been poo-pooed or something that's been strange or unusual within most of my family. Now, there have been the outliers who have been like, I don't want to think about that. It's too crazy. No. But for the most part, within my family, it's been accepted and it's not anything unusual. Now, whether I was born with it or not, again, I would say that all of us are born with the ability to have this type of skill or skill set, if you will, this toolbox. For me, I would say that it definitely became most prominent when I was very young. I was about two years old and my parents were driving in a VW station wagon, which way back in the 70s, there were no laws to have seatbelts in vehicles. And this, this station wagon was used, so it was probably even in the 60s that it was built. But my mother had the intuition to actually tie my car seat with rope into the back seat of the car. And as we were driving on the Autobahn, we were going from Germany to Amersfoort, Holland. We had gotten a pretty horrific accident, and both of my parents went through the windshield. And I was cut quite vociferously with glass, but because I was tied in, I'm, hi, I'm still here. Uh, now, as you can imagine, a two-year-old seeing that kind of a traumatic event, it, it would have life-altering effect. My mother died sure. at the scene. My father had glass in his throat that cut almost side to side and wasn't necessarily certain if he was going to survive or not. So when someone goes through something that traumatic, and remember, this is all situational. So I'm going to digress for a moment and talk a little bit about PTSD. It used to be thought that only men who were sent off to war suffered from PTSD or post-traumatic stress syndrome. It has, or post-traumatic stress disorder, in a sense, been explained that this is situational. So someone going through a near-death experience or someone going through severe abuse or trauma at a very young age could be just as traumatic for them, for their particular filter or their worldview, as a grown man going to war. So, as you can imagine, a two-year-old toddler seeing their parents go through the windshield, mother dying, father near death. When something that traumatic happens, uh, you actually have a soul contract with your divine coder, and the question is, do you want to step out and go, or do you want to stay? And sometimes, because there are agreements that you've made or life's work that you need to do or calling that, you're, that you need to fulfill, you will have something that's called a walk-in. And the walk-in 
is a spirit guide or a disembodied spirit or a past, you know, someone who's on the other side who will agree to come and step in to your physical form and help give you life support to help keep you grounded. And that's what happened to me when I was two. I was at the point where I was ready to go. There's some speculation that the walk-in may have even been the spirit of my mother who passed at the moment who stepped in to say, I'm going to carry you through and I'm going to hold new space until you're old enough to deal with this again, that amygdala function. Okay. So of course, going through those types of events will cause one to be much more in tune with the other side that what we are experiencing as spirit in human form goes beyond the five senses. Right. You get a pretty intimate understanding of that when you go through that kind of event. Sure. Now, having gone through that horrific experience and coming out of it, did you think that that had some uh, bearing on your ability to to be able to do mediumship and talk to those that have passed? Absolutely. Being that close to mortality at such a young age gives one, again, a greater understanding that there's not just what we sense with the five senses, with the physical senses. And as a young child, all growing up, I was always the kid who was talking to dead people. And it wasn't imaginary, you know, it wasn't the imaginary friends or people want to write it off as, oh, they're just playing games or they have a, a really enormously huge imagination that, you know, that's really a discredit to a lot of young children often referred to these days as indigo children who actually are able to communicate with the other side. Oh, they're just, they have an imagination or that's just, that's her imaginary friend. Luckily I didn't experience that with, again, my family was very supportive in that instance with saying, you know, you know it was just accepted. Angela can see yeah. people and, passed on. And some people maybe have that ability, but they sort of grow out of it or, it's beaten out of you. <laughs> As you think, so you think society has a role in that? It and, does. Yeah. It absolutely does. Because as you mature and you get into the institutionalization of school and you get into the institutionalization of societal expectation and being able to fit in and right. you know being able to be groomed for, you know, you go to school, you get out, you get married, you have kids, you get a job, right? you retire, you die. Right? If you deviate from any of that, ah! Yeah. Right. Oh, got crazy one over here. So, it, you know, it's a great disservice that, that people lose touch with that creativity, uh, a lot of people. And there are people who suppress it as you get older, as you grow, right? It becomes, you know, we don't have time for silliness. We don't have time for creativity. We certainly don't have time for dark, talking to dead people. You need to focus on your schoolwork. You need to find a job. You need to find a spouse. You need to, you know, there are all these things that you must do to fit into society. And if you don't, you're labeled a crazy person or, you know, yeah. And like you said, I mean, many times people go through a life-threatening experience mm. and they sort of come back to it, right? Mm. They start to decide right. maybe there is something a little bit more out there than just the what my five senses tell me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is most certainly when people go through challenges where there is some level of loss and therefore some level of grief process that's when you really, really, really get in touch with those inner demons and that inner mm-hmm. working, and you really start to ask those big questions. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Is this all there is? Right. And so probably people that have gone through some of those things or 
then they start to open up their awareness, and then maybe that's why they come to see you. Absolutely. That's right. right. And there is most certainly a certain demographic, obviously, that comes to see me. Those people are also called on a path to supersede me, hopefully, at some point. Mm-hmm. So they will come to me when they need help getting through a traumatic experience or or sometimes they come to me just to take classes because they start getting these little inklings like, wow, there's something else going on. Let's, let's go take this class about mediumship or let's go take this class about psychic versus intuitive or you know, right. chakras or whatever, right? Because I want to go beyond this mundane nonsense that I'm doing every day that in the end doesn't mean anything. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you deal with... Uh, sort of the skeptical, on-the-fence sort of mm. person that's maybe there's something there, but, you know, they they get turned off by, you know, some of the television. Uh, oh, the woo-woo stuff. The, there you uh, go, yeah, right. Yeah, we, get, we have to sensationalize it. And we have to make it even crazier and out framed. We have to have it dramatic so people are interested in watch TV, right? Um, I love skeptics. I'm a skeptic. I think people should be skeptics. Let me define that term because it's been co-opted now to mean complete disbeliever or debunker. A true skeptic is someone who says, "Eh, maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure, but let's keep an open mind and let's look at what the evidence presents. Okay, so skeptic in that terminology, I am a skeptic, and I hope to always remain a skeptic. There are always going to be people out there who go beyond the fringes. There are always those who are going to see signs where there are no signs, or they're going to be the ones who pretend to be psychics that aren't because, oh, you know, that's cool, right? No. So my part of my job is to debunk the debunkers and to debunk the myths. One of my main purposes in my calling is to be able to unwind all the woo-woo stuff and keep this grounded in science. Let's look at the reality, not the fantasy. So, yes, 90% of orb sightings are going to be faked or photoshopped or uh, dust droplets or water droplets or whatever other anomaly. Great, let's remove those. But there are always going to be that small percentage. There's always going to be that small percentage. That's like, wow, okay. You know? Um, Are there going to be people that fake... You know, mentalists who are able to do more of an illusionist type situation instead of an actual psychic or intuitive connection. Yes, but there are plenty of instances, and not just anecdotal stories, there are plenty of instances that have been supported, not only in a lab. Hans Holzer was a great one who was able to do metaphysical and paranormal studies at universities at the time, and I hope that we come back around to that again, where we were able to do replicatable studies. We were able to do actual events where we were able to say wow yeah and my message in all of that is as humans stop underestimating who you are you're so much greater than the limitations you put upon yourself hey i want to give a shout out to steve Schoen, an accomplished professional voice actor and audio producer who created my new intro and outro for Transpersonal Radio. Steve is based out of the Sacramento, California area. If you'd like to hire Steve for voiceover work, you can find him at soundsofmyvoice.com. That's sounds with an S, -S 
thesoundsofmyvoice.com. Steve is also an event entertainer and wedding DJ. If you want to liven up your event with a truly talented and fun personality, check out sacramentoweddingdj.com. You can also find Steve on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash steve.shown. That's S-C-H-O-N. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans- Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or, or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.